You're listening to a sample episode of The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam with Sheikh Dr. Omar Suleiman. Subscribe to our new channel, Yaqeen Podcasts, The Firsts, linked in the description. And catch an episode every week as we dive into the stories of the forerunners and trailblazers of Islam. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. A'udhu billahi s-sameen a'udhu billahi s-shaytan rajim. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. والعدوان إلا على الظالمين والعاقبة للمتقين اللهم صلِّ وسلِّم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا. Dear brothers and sisters, I want to welcome you back to the first, and uh, of course, inshallah ta'ala, we have moved it to Wednesday nights now, so please keep that in mind. That Monday night we'll have a reminder, inshallah. Wednesday night we will uh, do the first, and then on Fridays we will have khutbah, inshallah ta'ala, from the uh, lawn of uh, Valley Ranch Islamic Center. Uh, tonight is a particularly daunting task because the person that I'm covering, Bilal ibn Rabah radiallahu ta'ala anhu, is, uh, is not just an incredible companion, but one whose life spor- story spans so far. And, you know, his entire life story or much of his life story is related to his accepting Islam. And so a lot of the Sahaba that we've been covering you know, we stop at a certain point because the idea is to, uh, in, in many ways, give us an image of Mecca as things are developing around the Prophet ﷺ. But the story of Bilal is poetic for many reasons. It is one of the most well-known stories in the Ummah. There are uh, many children who would not be able to give you any incident from the Sahaba except for the incident of Bilal He is well known for uh, his struggle especially as he initially embraced Islam. Now, with, not, with that being said, um, there is also a fetishizing of Bilal anhu that we should, uh, you know, from now eliminate. If you have not paid attention, most of the Sahaba thus far, or a, many of them that we have covered, uh, were in fact black. And as one uh, title, one article was titled, Bilal is not the Ummah's one black friend. And that's sort of how he's portrayed in many situations, the Ummah's one black friend. He's that guy, right? Except we just finished with Khabab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who was also black, and Sumayya radiallahu ta'ala anha, and Um Ayman, and Zayd, and the list goes on and on. So that's not his special quality. Um, however, there is an element of Bilal radiallahu anhu overcoming all sorts of uh, impediments in his society, in a classist, tribalistic, uh, uh, racist, uh, environment to become who he became radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Now, as far as this series is concerned, and again, creating the imagery of what is around the Prophet as Islam is developing, Bilal radiallahu anhu is always associated with uh, Khabbab radiallahu anhu. So you'll, you'll find in books of Seer, often Bilal and Khabbab together, or you'll find Bilal, Khabbab and Suhaib together, uh, and sometimes Ammar, uh, Bilal, Khabbab, Suhaib and Ammar, and so we haven't covered Suhaib yet, which we will inshallah ta'ala next week. Uh, so that's one, one element that uh, reflects the early mustadafin, the early downtrodden ones who accepted Islam and struggled alongside the Prophet wasallam, who this message resonated with. And you'll also find, like in Sahih Muslim actually, Bab min Fadali Salman wa Suhaib wa Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhum. You know, Imam Muslim has the virtues of Salman, Bilal and Suhaib to obviously reflect Salman being the first Persian, Bilal being the first Abyssinian who was enslaved to accept Islam, Suhaib being the first Roman to accept Islam. 
So there are different ways that Bilal anhu's story is framed. But I want us to think about uh, the, the story of Bilal before Islam because there's something about the message of the Prophet that is resonating instantaneously with people that have been subjugated in the name of false gods. Whether those false gods are the idols or those false gods are the various ideologies and systems that are upheld in Mecca through which the Bilals and, and the Khabbabs and the Ammars and the Sumayyas are oppressed. So let's start off with Bilal's story to just reflect for a moment and appreciate that he brings together uh, two important surahs. Bilal's story, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, as far as his birth and his coming into the picture, starts with Surah Al-Fil and it ends with Surah Al-Nasr. How? Uh, Surat Al-Fil reflects the incident that would cause his mother to be uh, brought into slavery and then Bilal to be raised in slavery in Mecca. And Surat Al-Nasr is encapsulated best by Bilal standing on top of the Kaaba in Fatih Mecca in the conquest of Mecca calling out Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. And so first Bilal comes into the picture the reason why Bilal who grows up in the environment that he grows up in is because an Abyssinian king from Yemen, uh, who of course we know as Abraha, leads an army from Yemen to destroy the Kaaba and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala destroys his army instead. And amongst those that are captive, Bilal whose mother, Hamama, who was an Abyssinian princess. Okay, so Hamama is, is captured as a princess and uh, an Abyssinian princess taken into slavery and is married to Rabah, who is a black Arab slave. Okay, a black Arab slave. And so this army is destroyed. Abraha's army bringing, uh, you know, uh, or, or, or seeking to destroy the Kaaba is destroyed. And what ends up happening is that the Abyssinians that resided in the area are taken as slaves and they, they largely dwell in such fashion um, in the society of the Prophet And then again, subhanAllah, how poetic that the next time an army comes to the Kaaba, it is the army of the Prophet and Bilal who through Tawheed, through monotheism, stands on top of the Kaaba declaring Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. So Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu is Bilal ibn Rabah and he's also Bilal al-Habashi radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He was born uh, approximately 10 years after Amul Fil, after that, uh, the year um, of, the, of the elephant and of course the year that the Prophet was born as well. So he was born approximately in the year 580, making him uh, a decade younger than the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. What is the description of Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu physically? Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu had uh, an extremely pleasant appearance. He was dark, very dark skin, um, extremely handsome. He had hazel eyes. He had uh, uh, a lot of hair. And it's said that Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu never balded. So he had uh, much hair that stayed with him uh, throughout his entire life. He had a light beard that was barely connected and uh, Bilal who maintained a youthful appearance throughout his entire life. They said that there was only some streaks of gray hair uh, in, his, in, in his hair and his beard at the end of his life. So an extremely handsome man, تعالى, uh, a very uh, uh, strong appearance. And 
I, I want to introduce this this man radiallahu ta'ala anhu through an introduction by Sa'id ibn Musayyib radiallahu ta'ala anhu and this narration is found in Al-Qurtubi's tafsir in Surah Luqman that Sa'id ibn Musayyib radiallahu ta'ala anhu saw a young black man who had internalized some of the racism that was around him. And so we, just as I said, we can't exoticize Bilal or, or turn him into the Ummah's one black friend. We also should not underestimate uh, the, the power of, you know, people that deal with toxic racism and racism is all toxic, seeing themselves in the Sahaba of the Prophet And so Sa'id ibn Musayyib radiallahu ta'ala anhu was talking to a young black man and he says to him, لا تحزن من أنك أسود فإنه كان من خير الناس ثلاثة من السودان. He said, do not uh, feel bad or do not grieve because you are black for verily three of the best people to ever walk the face of the earth were black. And he mentions Bilal and Mihja' and Luqman. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with them all. Bilal, Mihja' and Luqman. And so Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu is a special, uh, a special man from the companions of the Prophet sallallahu whose honor, even if uh, relegated to one area, uh, lives in the Ummah today, and uh, you know we see the, the prominence of the story of Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu and the name of Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu uh, in the Ummah's history. The kunya of Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu is Aba Abdullah, though he never uh, actually had kids according to most accounts. And the, the way that Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu would be insulted of Yabn al-Sawda, O son of a black woman, uh, this was a way to put Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu down because of his status despite having an Arab father. Okay, because as we said, Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu's mother was an Abyssinian princess and Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu's father was a black Arab. And in the famous narration with Abu Dhar radiallahu uh, ta'ala anhu, uh, saying those words and, and of course some of the narrations suggesting that was Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu that he said those words too, it would make sense because it was a reminder that even though Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu's father was an Arab, uh, his mother being an Abyssinian uh, who was enslaved is really what his status was was uh, reflective of. And so Abu Dhar radiallahu anhu himself being a black Arab, saying that to Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu, or the, the names being hurled at Bilal, the insult, specific insult to Bilal of Yabn al-Sawda, O son of a black woman, is to suggest a lower status in society because at the end of the day, tribalism is what reigns supreme in that society. Uh, some of the narrations, they talk about the upbringing of Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and they're, they're, they're mostly general. But still, I mean, you can take from uh, the, the, the obvious facts of Bilal's upbringing enough to, uh, to derive what would have made the message of Islam so attractive to him radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So Bilal radiallahu anhu was born into slavery. He grows up and uh, both of his parents are enslaved. And uh, you know, it's mentioned in some of the, in the accounts that Bilal radiallahu anhu who loved his mother, used to witness his mother being beaten. And so just think about the mindset of this young man coming up and seeing his parents subjugated to that cruelty. Now, Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu understood that the way to rise was to be enhanced in regards to your skill sets, in regards to your techniques, in regards to your uh, abilities. And so Bilal radiallahu anhu would rise to become, uh, you know, one of the favored of the enslaved 
due to his intelligence, due to his strength, due to his ability. So he wasn't amongst those who would be beaten frequently. He was amongst those that were considered to be amongst the favorites of a noble man, noble by Jahili standards, Umayyah ibn Khalaf uh, at the time. And so Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu, despite rising in that sense, understands that his status, because of the way that things uh, operate in the society that he is in, his status is still one of, uh, of, of a slave, despite being one of the favored uh, amongst the slaves of the nobles at the time. Now Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu, uh, embraces Islam upon hearing of the da'wah of the Prophet ﷺ immediately. Now, it's very interesting because what's suggested is that Bilal did not actually hear the call from the Prophet ﷺ himself initially, but he actually would have heard it from Umayyah complaining about Bilal about the Prophet ﷺ. So his master, Umayyah ibn Khalaf, is one of the custodians of the Kaaba. Uh, the custodians of the idols. He was uh, famous for perfuming the idols, for, uh, for, for taking care of the Kaaba. He's in the ranks of the likes of Abu Jahl and others at the time. And, you know, Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu would have heard of Islam either directly from the Prophet sallallahu or actually through the complaints of Umayyah and others about the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. However, as we mentioned, the narration uh, last week Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu is considered amongst the first seven uh, that Azharul uh, Islam that showed or publicly expressed their Islam. So Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu, just like Khabbab radiallahu anhu, hears the message of the Prophet sallallahu hears the message of Tawheed and it immediately resonates with him. It's probably one of the, the greatest injustices of the movie uh, Bilal that came out a few years ago was that it made Tawheed secondary to uh, the element of justice. However, Tawheed was the first, the first right uh, that Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu found that resonated with him, ahadun ahad, and then everything that stems from ahadun ahad, everything that stems from the affirmation of that one God is where you find Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu finding his dignity and his honor. And, and that's something that's consistent, even in the famous uh, incident of Rabi ibn Amr, that Allah has sent us to uh, to, or that uh, Allah has sent us to free people from being enslaved to other slaves, to being slaves to the Lord of all slaves, and then from the injustice of all other systems to the justice of Islam, and from the constriction of this life to the expanse of the hereafter. And so something about Tawheed and what Tawheed represented, Ahad represented, one God represented, immediately resonated with Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Because it is necessarily the case that if you acknowledge the oneness of God, that that puts all of humanity on a singular plane. When you are able to affirm the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and associate no partners with him whatsoever. And that is the case with Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that he hears this message and that is the sweetest part of it to him because that's what he's gonna keep on repeating over and over and over again, one God, one God, one God. And so Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu embraces Islam. And as we said in the story of Khabbab and the story of Sumayyah, Bilal does not have anyone to protect him. And his master, being a pow the powerful man that he is, wants to make an example out of him so that others would not follow suit. And so what does Umayyah do? 
<clears throat> Umayyah actually puts a collar on Bilal and puts hot iron on him and he would render him unconscious. SubhanAllah, it's, you know, you find that he used to uh, tie Bilal up by his uh, wrists and his ankles and he would put him out in the sun from sunrise to sunset and they would deprive him of water and not only would they deprive him of water but out of cruelty they would drip some drops of water on his chest uh, to torture him further, to mentally torture him further. And Bilal would go days in this situation without sustenance. And Umayyah would tell Bilal because remember Bilal was one of the favored slaves of Umayyah. Listen, just say Allah wal Uzza, just say their names and this will end. Okay, just say their names and this will end. This torture will end. This, you know, Umayyah did not anticipate the resilience of Bilal in the face of this humiliation, in the face of this torture. So he's saying to him, just say, you know, uh, just, just say Alat al Uzza, just say the names of them, and you will be free. He was not like Abu Jahal demanding uh, Sumayyah to curse the Prophet. He's just demanding Bilal to say, and Bilal would respond and say, Ahadun Ahad. One, one. And it would infuriate Umayyah because Umayyah felt like he was being generous to Bilal by giving him an easy way out. And so when that did not work, when the dehydration did not work and the torture did not work, um, subhanAllah, the, the next level of cruelty was to take Bilal to the Sufaha of Ta'if, to the hoodlums of Ta'if. And uh, they would tie him up. And uh, Umayyah told them in Ta'if, he said, assault him in any way that you want. SubhanAllah, I mean, think about uh, how disgusting then the assaults on Bilal would have been. Go ahead and do with him whatever you want. Torture him, beat him, insult him assault him in every way possible to break his spirit. And so he would leave Bilal for days in that way. Bilal still did not give up. And subhanAllah, you then had the next level of this, which was dragging Bilal through the streets. And as they dra- dragged Bilal through the, the pathways of Mecca, they would leave streaks of his blood, عنه, lashing him, dehydrating him, torturing him. And Bilal still just says, Ahadun Ahad, one, one. Uh, there's a narration about Waraqa ibn Nawfal uh, passing by him. And of course, as, as we mentioned in the story of, of Waraqa, uh, that, that it does not add up from a timeline perspective that uh, he, he, he said to Umayyah uh, that, uh, Wallahi, if you kill him, then I will, then I will build a shrine uh, for him. And uh, confirming, Ahadun Ahad, Wallahi, Ya Bilal. But in any case, I mean, this, this torture went on for a long time. And Abdullah ibn Mas'ud ta'ala anhu said that when they were put in the iron chains and tortured most severely, the only one who would never show his pain was Bilal ta'ala anhu, laqad hana nafsahu fi sabilillah. He completely sacrificed himself for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He completely you know, uh, removed his nafs. He gave it all for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's uh, upon whom uh, was revealed, وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَشْرِي نَفْسَهُ بِتِغَاءَ مَرْضَاتِ اللَّهِ وَاللَّهُ رَؤُوفٌ بِالْعِبَادِ 
and there are those of people who sell themselves seeking means, to the, seeking the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And verily, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is kind to his servants. So subhanAllah with Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, when we talked about him, uh, the, the freeing of the Khabbabs of the world and the Bilals of the world. Uh, that there is no one who can compensate Abu Bakr anhu for the money that he was spending to, for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All he was doing it for was seeking the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would, would please him. And Allah mentions on the other side of that, there are those who did not have money to give to free others. They only had themselves to give for freedom into the ubudiyah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, into slavery to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And those are the Bilal's of the world who gave himself for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that was all that he had. And so as the torture goes on for weeks and then months, Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu constantly pushes Umayyah to free Bilal or to, or to sell him Bilal. And Umayyah wants, you know, wants to win this uh, bout of torture. So to Umayyah, success is seeing Bilal anhu crumble under the pressure. And Bilal anhu is not crumbling. And so as time goes on, and uh, Abu Bakr anhu comes to him and he says, sell him to me, sell him to me. How much do you want? Name your price. And Umayyah keeps on putting it off. Finally, Umayyah uh, tries to torture Bilal in the most severe way, which is that he has Bilal tied to the, to, to the hot surface in the desert. And this is a Bilal who has now been dehydrated, who has now been starved, who has now been assaulted in every way. And all he says is, Ahadun Ahad, one, one. And Umayyah orders that a group of, of, of men bring a stone a huge stone that takes multiple men. And as Bilal anhu is stretched out in the desert to put the stone on top of his body. And SubhanAllah, Bilal anhu says, Ahadun Ahad, until he goes unconscious. And the story of Bilal might have ended there. He may have become a shaheed, a martyr, just like Sumayya anha. But Abu Bakr anhu keeps on pushing. And eventually as Umayyah realizes that this man is hopeless in that I'm not going to get him to relinquish his faith. I've tried every mechanism of torture and Umayyah is a man driven by money, right? So eventually he says to Abu Bakr, you know what? I'll sell him to you. How much? 10 uqiyas. And uqiyah is, is, is a heavier currency at the time. They had, uh, they, they had uh, dirhams and dinars and uh, uqiyah is, 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 a, is a large set a large currency, and I forgot the exact measurement uh, of what it would be equivalent to, but it's it's not a small amount. And he says to him that I'll sell him to you for 10 uqiyas, and some narrations say seven. And Abu Bakr anhu does not bargain with the price. Abu Bakr anhu says, okay, right away. Now, as Abu Bakr anhu purchases his freedom, Umayyah says to him, لو أعطيتني دينار if you would have just given me one dinar, right? To show to Abu Bakr anhu that Bilal is cheap, anhu, right? To, to belittle Bilal, even after all that he has put him through. And Bilal anhu hears obviously that, that, that last word of humiliation from the man that has 
uh, tortured him for all of these years. And he said, if you would have given me one dinar, I would have given him to you. Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu responds and he says, Wallahi, if you would have given him to me only for a hundred, I would have bought him. I would have purchased his freedom. That Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu is worth more to us. He's worth more to us than any price that you would have named. And that is a sign of the type of community that Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu is joining, one that values him on the basis of his love for Allah, ahadun ahad, one God, one God, one that values him solely on that basis and that extols his virtue uh, because of that and nothing else. And so Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu joins the community of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu and those great people. Now at that point, as the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, you know, tries to negotiate through his uncle Abu Talib, a means by which he can give da'wah to the leaders of Quraysh. Uh, you know, Walid ibn Mughira and some of the leaders of the Quraysh, they say to the Prophet sallallahu look, if you get rid of the Bilal's of the world and the Khabbab's of the world and the Suhaib's of the world, we'll sit with you. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, responds with, وَلَا تَطْرُدِ الَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ رَبَّهُمْ بِالْغَدَاتِ وَالْعَشِي يُرِيدُونَ وَجْهَةِ Do not uh, push away, do not push away those that call upon their Lord night and day, seeking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's pleasure, that that's not for you to do, that the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is what's going to attain the victory uh, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why the Prophet went and he sat with them when the ayah was revealed. And you know, at this point now, as, as you're watching Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu uh, proceed in the community of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, a man who now walks free and amongst the companions of the Prophet sallallahu and not just that, but he is our master who was freed by our master, our master who was freed by our master. And you know, he, he's spoken to in this way as time goes on, even by the likes of Umar ibn Khattab Think about where Umar was and where Bilal was. And Umar later on, as he's sitting with Khabbab and he's sitting with Bilal, and we talked about what Umar asks Khabbab, what does he ask Bilal? He says to Bilal, you know, why is it that when you were being tortured, and he refers to him as our master who was freed by our master. He says, how come when you were being tortured, all you said was ahadun ahad, one, one. You know what Bilal anhu's response was? If I knew anything about Allah other than one, one, then I would have said it. SubhanAllah, how simple the word, la ilaha illallah encapsulated in ahadun ahad, and Bilal does not know any other names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He, he doesn't call upon Allah with any du'a book, he doesn't have the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala memorized, all he knows is one, one, ahadun, ahad. Wallahi ahadun, ahad, ya Bilal. It was just one, one. As time goes on, um, you know, and there's so much to talk about in regards to the virtues of Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and I will try my best uh, to get through at least enough of them. Of course, I've done other lectures on Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu where you can find some of these things elaborated on further. But uh, suffice it to say that Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu would witness every battle and every journey uh, of the Prophet sallallahu with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He was always by his side. 
when the Prophet wanted to be left alone, he only allowed Bilal عنه, to be with him. When the Prophet uh, you know, uh, was, was to uh, prepare himself for any journey, he would inform Bilal عنه, first. Bilal عنه, was the gatekeeper in the literal and the uh, metaphorical sense with the Prophet in the figurative sense, he was the gatekeeper to the Prophet and he was the closest to the Prophet in these journeys throughout. And that is also important to the context of the Adhan of Bilal being the first Mu'adhan. Abdullah ibn Zayd uh, had a dream that in Medina as they were trying to figure out how they were going to institute the call to prayer. And in this dream, he said, a spirit visited me and uh, I saw a man wearing two green garments with a clapper and I asked him to sell it to me. And he said, why? I told him for prayer. And he said to me, let me share with you a better way. And then he started to recite the Adhan. So Abdullah ibn Zayd uh, came to the Prophet to tell the Prophet about the dream that he had had. As he was arriving to tell the Prophet about that dream, Umar ibn Khattab was coming to the Prophet to inform him about the very same dream. The dream of the Adhan, the words being chanted out as we hear them for every single Salah. And who does the Prophet appoint to be the one to say it? It's Bilal Why does the Prophet appoint Bilal? Is it because Bilal uh, you know, is 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 a symbol for something? Is the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi doing that to say that, look, you know, uh, I'm going to uplift Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu to do this for, for some reason? No. Uh, Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu deserves to be the one to chant the adhan, to say la ilaha illallah standing atop the masjid because Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu was the one who was saying la ilaha illallah under that rock and under the most brutal forms of torture. It was the iman the, the, the faith and the certainty of Bilal that gained him that honor to say La ilaha illallah. So it was not because of his race, it was in spite of his race. It wasn't because of his previous status, it was you know, despite it. It was because he deserved it and there was going to be no impediment to Bilal being chosen to that, uh, to that position. And Bilal had a strong voice, a beautiful, strong voice. And I want you to think about the closeness to the Prophet Bilal before every adhan would seek permission from the Prophet to call the adhan. So it wasn't just going out and calling the adhan. That in and of itself is five times of access to the Prophet He'd go to the Prophet and he'd say, As-salatu ya Rasulullah the prayer, O Messenger of Allah. And what was the answer of the Prophet Sallallahu the famous answer? Arihna biha ya Bilal. Comfort us with it, O Bilal. Comfort us with the prayer, O Bilal. And Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu would stand up and he would call out, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, until the end of the adhan. And as he would call it out, and subhanAllah saying, Ashhadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah, and Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, Rasulullah would walk out, right? I mean, how beautiful to call the adhan. And as you're saying, I testify that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah and Muhammad, the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, walks out to lead the prayer as you call your adhan. 
And there's a beautiful narration from Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He said that we were with the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and Bilal radiallahu anhu stood up to give the adhan. And by the way, Bilal would have the honor to give the adhan in Medina and on a journey with the Prophet So we're with the Prophet and Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu stood up to give the adhan. And when he fell silent, when Bilal radiallahu anhu finished his adhan, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, مَنْ قَالَ مِثْلَ هَذَا يَقِينًا دَخَلَ الْجَنَّةِ مَنْ قَالَ مِثْلَ هَذَا يَقِينًا دَخَلَ الْجَنَّةِ Whoever says this with yaqeen, with certainty, will enter paradise. And there is an indication in there that as Bilal radiallahu anhu was saying, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. What did that mean to him? Right? How much certainty did Bilal radiallahu anhu have in Allahu Akbar? How much certainty did he have in Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, Ashhadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah? Didn't he prove it? How much certainty in this being al-falah, not just as-salah, that this is success? Bilal radiallahu anhu was willing to die for these words and almost did die for these words radiallahu ta'ala anhu when very few would consider the message of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Bilal radiallahu anhu was the side of the Prophet he was the confidant of the Prophet If you wanted to visit the Prophet you had to go through Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He was the one who would wake up the Prophet for Fajr. He used to set up the camps for the Prophet He used to guard the Prophet when he wanted alone time. How much then did he spend with the Prophet His life literally revolved around the Messenger of Allah Literally, right? His life revolves around the Prophet And so you can imagine then what the death of the Prophet will do to him, right? And so that's, that gives some context, and I'm, I'm jumping a bit because we haven't got to that point, of what the death of the Prophet will do to Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He's not just the mu'addin of the Prophet he's also a mujahid on the side of the Prophet and he's also the first treasurer, the first khazin of Bayt al-Mal, khazin al-Bayt al-Mal, the, the treasurer of the Prophet the one who would maintain the charity and the, and the wealth as it came into the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu is the first in many different ways, right? There are many ways to attribute the first to Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And uh, all of it comes from obviously the place of certainty and steadfastness that Bilal had when he accepted Islam. Now, subhanAllah, with, with all of these people, uh, especially those that were enslaved and tortured, we talk about Badr, right? Badr being a defining moment. Badr is certainly a defining moment for Bilal as well. And his master, Umayyah, or his, his previous uh, master, of course, who tortured him and oppressed him, Umayyah ibn Khalaf, if you go into the story of Umayyah ibn Khalaf, he actually did not want to go out to Badr, but he was, he was shamed into going out to Badr by Abu Jahl. Umayyah was not someone who liked, uh, believe it or not, who liked conflict. He was scared of it. He liked instead to finance his way out of everything, uh, to get other people to, to do things for him. He thrived off of, his, off of his lineage and off of his access to power. But Umayyah was not one who actually liked to be in battle or to be in, in confrontation. And so Umayyah actually tried to find many loopholes uh, to get out of this, to get out of the Battle of Badr, uh, but had to go out as Abu, Abu Jahl had shamed him. And the Prophet could see it in his eyes as he came out to the day of Badr that Umayyah did not actually want to be there. But there's, uh, there's something that precedes that, 
which is that Umayyah was close to two men from the companions of the Prophet He was close to Sa'id ibn Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu in Medina, and he was close to Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And Abdurrahman was, um, you know, Abdurrahman ibn Awf, of course, one of the early converts of Islam, uh, maintained a relationship with Umayyah even after Islam, and they had a deal with one another. The deal was that Abdurrahman ibn Awf was entrusted with the property and the wealth and the family of Umayyah ibn Khalaf in Medina. And Umayyah was in, entrusted with the wealth and the property and the family of Abdurrahman in Mecca. So even after Islam, they, they, they had this document written up where uh, they made this promise to one another. And uh, Umayyah did not, uh, did not accept the name of Abdurrahman. His name before Islam was Abdu Amr. So Abdurrahman no longer goes by Abdu Amr, uh, but uh, Umayyah refuses to call him Abdurrahman. And so they settled on Abdu Ilah, okay? Because they disagree on who the Ilah is, who God is. So he's the slave of the God, right? So to Umayyah, who would call him Abdu Ilah, and Abdurrahman, who of course uh, referred to Ar-Rahman, um, this was the way that they negotiated that contract. So Umayyah ibn Khalaf shows up at the Battle of Badr, and we've talked about what happened to Abu Jahl, and we talked about the, the, the vengeance or the, you know, uh, the, what, what happened with Ammar anhu and Khabbab anhu on the day of Badr, and so many different people seeing their oppressors fall on the day of Badr. When Umayyah showed up to the Battle of Badr, he immediately tried to figure out how to get himself out of a direct confrontation. And so he saw Abdurrahman ibn Awf on the day of Badr, and he submitted himself to Abdurrahman right away. And he told Abdurrahman, you know, that, that, that he'll ransom himself with the most expensive of property to get himself out of being killed or being in that fight. Now, can you imagine the emotion of Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu seeing the, uh, the man who oppressed him and who, who treated him that way for all of those years? on that day of Badr. Can you imagine what was going through the heart and the mind of Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu? And so when Bilal radiallahu anhu saw him, he wanted to kill him. He wanted so bad to kill him. And Abdurrahman ibn Awf, he actually um, narrates the incident. He, he said that, you know, I captured Umayyah, I took him in, and uh, Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu followed me with Umayyah. And he shouted out and he said, Ma najotu in naja. I will not live if he lives. Meaning one of us is going to die. Either I die or he dies. Ma najotu, wallahi ma najotu in naja. I will not live if he lives. That he must die. That I want my revenge. And Abdurrahman ibn Awf is literally shielding Umayyah from Bilal, who is so emotional. Now, the Sahaba were waiting for the ayat to be revealed in regards to how they deal with the captives. So in regards to Umayyah ibn Khalaf, uh, this is no longer in the battle. This is after the battle has already ceased and Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu wants to, to take his revenge on him for what he did to him for all of those years. And he's saying, Ma najotu in naja. And as they are waiting, subhanAllah, listen to how Abdurrahman ibn Awf describes the situation. He says, I literally had to protect Umayyah while Bilal radiallahu anhu and, and, and some of the Ansar were poking with their swords around me, trying to get past me to hit him. And uh, Abdurrahman ibn Awf says, you know, my foot was actually injured 
because of one of the swords going through, trying to uh, get at Umayyah and going past and hitting my foot. And Bilal killed Umayyah ibn Khalaf that day and took his revenge that day uh, for what was done to him. And uh, SubhanAllah, you know, this is, this is powerful because it shows you justice. It also shows you the very, uh, you know, the very raw emotion of Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu on seeing the man who did this to him for all of those, uh, for all of those months in the most humiliating fashion. And Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu taking, um, you know, having the opportunity uh, to take his revenge and to have justice in this life with, uh, with Umayyah ibn Khalaf uh, before the next. And Abdurrahman, uh, he used to say, uh, may Allah have mercy on Bilal. He wounded me and I got nothing out of the, out of the ransom. <laughs> so not only did I, uh, did Bilal radiallahu anhu cause my foot to be wounded, but I did not get anything from my prisoner out of ransoming uh, my prisoner. Now there's a, a twist, by the way, a plot twist, which is important here. Uh, and it's, and it's a gem of sorts, which is that, uh, you know, Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu would actually marry the sister of Abdurrahman ibn Auf, Hala. So, uh, Abdurrahman would become the brother-in-law of Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu later on. Um, and so that's a story that becomes within the family at that point of Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu and Umayyah ibn Khalaf. As for the brother of Umayyah ibn Khalaf, Ubay ibn Khalaf, Ubay was the first person, the only person killed from the hand of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in the battle of Uhud. Finally, we come to uh, Fatih Mecca. And uh, truly it can be said that Badr was the day of Hamza radiallahu anhu, Uhud was the day of Talha, Khandaq was the day of Salman, uh, Fatih Mecca was the day of Bilal. It was the day of Bilal. Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu has the privilege of entering into the Kaaba with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, disposing of the very idols in whose name he was subjugated. And on that day, the Prophet ﷺ tells Bilal anhu to stand up on top of the Kaaba, to climb the Kaaba, and to call out the Adhan. In the same place that Bilal anhu was placed under a stone and almost killed, saying, Ahadun Ahad, now Bilal anhu is rising up above the Kaaba to call out, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. And that is, as some of the scholars say, even harder on the hearts of the mushrikeen than the idols being thrown out themselves is Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu uh, rising up onto the Kaaba because that represents not just the, uh, the, the disposal of those idols, but everything that those idols gave them access to do, the power that it gave them has now been taken away. And Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu stands up on the Kaaba, the only man to do so. Think of the scene, the only man to do so, the first and only man to do so, calling out Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, ashhadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah. And as he climbed up, uh, many comments were said. Uh, some said Abdin Aswad, a black slave, Yartaqil Kaaba, climbing up the Kaaba. Uh, many of the, many of the those who uh, entered into Islam knew uh, they you know they, they made comments even though they'd embraced Islam they made comments they you know Harith ibn Hisham he said couldn't Muhammad Sallallahu find other than this ghurab which is a crow so it's a racist comment to call the people to prayer so Hayl ibn Amr he said if Allah detests a thing then he will change it Abu Sufyan said I will not say anything for if I do it may be that the heavens and the earth will testify against me. So many different narrations of people making comments, Muslims and some of those who were not Muslim, 
making comments about Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu climbing. And according to Ibn al-Jawzi and others, uh, uh, this is where uh, the ayah, Ya ayyuhal nas, inna khalaqnakum min dhakarin wa untha wa ja'alnakum shu'uban wa qaba'ila li ta'arafu inna akramakum indallahi atqaqum. The verse in Surah Al-Hujurat, that O people, we have made you into male and female nations and tribes that you may get to know one another. And verily, the most noble of you in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is uh, the one with the most uh, taqwa, with the most piety. And so Bilal radiallahu anhu has the privilege of climbing on top of the Kaaba and saying Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. He attains that honor. And there's another incident on that day of Fatah Mecca that shows you the place of Bilal. Bilal, Ammar, and Suhaib, they, uh, they walk by Abu Sufyan, who of course had become Muslim in Fatah Mecca. And uh, they walk by him, and of course they were insulted by Abu Sufyan, they were hurt by Abu Sufyan for so many years. He represented the opposing party even as he became Muslim because it was stamped in their conscience and their memory of what Abu Sufyan represented. And most of the companions of Abu Sufyan had perished by that point, right? In the battles, the various battles between the Muslims and them. And it was the, the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah preserved those early slaves in Mecca to be there on Fatih Mecca, on the day of the conquest of Mecca, and not die in the battles that would take place between the original uh, call of Islam and that eventual conquest of Mecca, which represented the great victory of Islam. And so uh, Bilal, Ammar, and Suhaib, they come across Abu Sufyan, and they said, Wallahi, the swords of Allah did not reach the enemies of Allah like they should have. Like you barely escaped, you're lucky we missed you. You're lucky that the swords of Allah did not reach your throat uh, as it, they should have. So Abu Sufyan, who, uh, who of course was you know, next in line after Abu Jahal in, in the leadership of, of Mecca uh, until it was conquered, Abu Sufyan, as he, as he says that, um, you know, he was angry and he complained to Abu Bakr as-Siddiq Now, the Prophet Sallallahu of course, wanted to bring the hearts together. And so that's why the Prophet Sallallahu acknowledged Abu Sufyan and said, whoever enters into the home of Abu Sufyan, then he is safe. But here, Abu Sufyan um, has transgressed uh, and now repented. And the Prophet Sallallahu is wanting to solidify the ranks of Islam at this point. So Abu Sufyan complained to Abu Bakr. And Abu Bakr anhu went to Bilal and Suhaib and Ammar, and he said, did you say this to the Sayyid of Quraysh, to the leader of Quraysh? So he rebuked them for what they said. And then Abu Bakr anhu went to the Prophet Sallallahu and he informed the Prophet Sallallahu about what had happened. And SubhanAllah, you know, Abu Bakr anhu did not rebuke Bilal and Ammar and Suhaib because of Jahiliyyah. He rebuked them because he had the vision of the Prophet in wanting to solidify the ranks of Islam. And SubhanAllah, here's what ends up happening. Uh, as Abu Bakr shares this with the Prophet وسلم, the Prophet says, Ya Abu Bakr, O Abu Bakr, لَعَلَّكَ أَغْضَبْتَهُمْ لَإِن كُنْتَ أَغْضَبْتَهُمْ لَقَدْ أَغْضَبْتَ رَبَّكَ O Abu Bakr, it might be that you angered them who is them? Bilal and Suhaib and Ammar. And verily, if you would have angered them, then you would have angered your Lord as a result. And SubhanAllah, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, of course, being a Siddiq, what does he do? 
he goes to Bilal and he goes to Ammar and he goes to Suhaib and he immediately seeks forgiveness from them. And they immediately say, you know, may Allah forgive you. There is nothing. Of course, they would hold nothing against Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And that is what caused him uh, to be relieved. So the Prophet sallallahu uh, showing that that honor to Bilal, he didn't sell them out once he got what he what he wanted. Alayhi salatu wasalam, right? That's not the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. That's there's something that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam does is he's treating the Ansar and, and solidifying their position, and here solidifying the Sahaba's position as well. Those early Sahaba of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, the Bilals of the world and the Suhaibs of the world and the Ammars of the world and so on and so forth. And so, how would it be then? when the Prophet ﷺ passes away. And Bilal whose life revolves around the Prophet ﷺ. The Messenger of Allah ﷺ, as he was passing away, and Bilal who saw him in pain, saw the fever of the Prophet ﷺ, you know, causing him to go unconscious and come back, and all of those things. Bilal who said, وَحُزْنَا لَيْتَنِي مِتُّ قَبْلَ هَذَا وَحُزْنَا Oh, what grief I am in, if only I would have died before this. Pay attention to this part. وَحُزْنَا Right? How sad I am, what a day of grief, if only I would have died before this. Bilal does not know عنه, what he's going to do after the Prophet passes away. His life revolves around him and of course, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed that the Prophet would die. If he dies or if he is killed, will you go back to, uh, on your heels? And of course, Bilal would be firm on the message of the Messenger. But imagine how difficult it is for Bilal to try to call the Adhan now. When every Adhan in Medina, he used to go to the Prophet ﷺ and say, As-salah, Ya Rasulullah, is, is it time for prayer, O Messenger of Allah? And the Prophet ﷺ would say, yes. And then he'd call out, Ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah, and Muhammad Rasulullah ﷺ would walk out. Now he has to call the Adhan, and the Messenger of Allah ﷺ is not there. And that is a difficult thing for the heart of Bilal and of course all of the Sahaba. And so Bilal who stands up after the death of the Prophet and he starts to call the Adhan. And as he gets to the name of Muhammad he breaks down crying. And he tries over and over and over again to say, Ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah in the Adhan, and he can't do it. And all of the Sahaba in Medina are crying, hearing Bilal struggling to try to say, Ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. And so Bilal calls comes down and Bilal says, I will never call Adhan to, for anyone again after the Prophet I can't do it anymore. In fact, he tells Abu Bakr send me out in jihad, send me out in battle. I, I can't be in Medina anymore because everywhere he looks, he sees the Prophet Everything in Medina was the Prophet to him. He followed the Prophet everywhere. He guarded the Prophet everywhere. He remembered his smile everywhere he looked. He remembered his warmth, his presence, alayhi salatu wasalam. So he says to Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and look to what he look at to what he look at what he says to him. He says, In kunta ataqtani lillah, if you have freed me for Allah, if you freed me for Allah, Fadani adhabu haythu shit. 
then let me go anywhere that I want. And if you have freed me for, you, for yourself, in kunta ataqtani li nafsik, then hold me and do with me what you want. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu said, of course I freed you for Allah, O Bilal. He says to him, go ahead, okay? Fadhab, go ahead. And Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu goes out to Asham uh, in, the, in the process of jihad, uh, just, like, uh, just like many of the Sahaba uh, went out in battle uh, against the Romans at that moment. And the next time that Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu would be gathered with the companions was in Asham, particularly in the conquest of Jerusalem. And uh, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, as Jerusalem is opened, he sees Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu and he begs Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu who said that he didn't want to call adhan for anyone after the Messenger of Allah sallallahu He says to Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu, you know, go up and, and call the adhan, O Bilal, the way that you used to when we were in Medina. And after prompting Bilal so much, Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu will stand up in Al-Quds, in Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa. The first man to call the adhan in Medina and then in Mecca, will now be the first man to call the Adhan in Al-Quds, making him the first Mu'adhan in all three of the Masajid, all three of the holiest places in Islam. And as Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu goes up and, and calls out, La ilaha illallah, ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, ashhadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah, all of the Sahaba start to cry when Bilal radiallahu anhu calls the Adhan. It was as if they forgot that they were in Jerusalem in this new chapter of Islam because they went back reminiscing on the presence of the Prophet and hearing the voice of Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu calling the adhan in Al-Madina. Uh, and the only other adhan that we know of is an adhan that Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu gave in Medina one more time at the request of Al-Hasan wal Hussein radiallahu ta'ala anhumah, the beloved uh, two uh, grandsons of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. When did Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu pass away? SubhanAllah, I didn't mention his name. Uh, when I did the lecture on the coronavirus and the plague that killed the Sahaba. Um, but Ta'un uh, Amwas, many of the books actually mention that this is when Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu passed away in Asham due to the plague of Amwas in the year 639, uh, where 25,000 people died, uh, including the likes of Mu'ad ibn Jabal radiallahu ta'ala anhu, anhu and so many of the, of the great companions of the Prophet Here is Bilal radiallahu anhu now on his deathbed. And his wife, uh, as she sees Bilal leaving this world, and Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu uh, once saw the Prophet leaving this world and said, Wa what a day of grief. His wife sees Bilal passing away and she says, Wa Wa what a day of grief, what a tragedy. And Bilal radiallahu anhu says, Say wa farhata, say instead, what a great joy it is. غَدًا أَلْقَ الْأَحِبَّةِ مُحَمَّدًا وَحِزْبًا Say what a great joy it is. Tomorrow I will meet my loved ones, Muhammad Wasallam and his companions. So Bilal radiallahu anhu was longing for the presence of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and the companions. And he passed away radiallahu ta'ala anhu joining the Prophet sallallahu and the companions in that high level. And I'll just end with these few narrations of the virtues of Bilal, and there's so many. The Prophet ﷺ said, I was shown al-Jannah, and I saw Umm Sulaym radiallahu ta'ala anha, and I heard the noise of some steps, uh, khash khasha, uh, amami, some steps in front of me, 
فإذا بلال and it was the steps of Bilal رضي الله تعالى عنه in the Jannah. So the Prophet Sallallahu said to Bilal, tell me what is the most hopeful act that you have done with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala since your acceptance of Islam? Because oh Bilal, I heard your footsteps ahead of me in the Jannah. And Bilal رضي الله عنه said, I do not consider any act more hopeful except that when I make wudu in any time of the night or the day, I immediately perform two rak'ahs of salah and or, or pray as long as was destined for me uh, to pray. Uh, the Prophet ﷺ also said what an excellent person Bilal is and he's the leader of the mu'adhins on the Day of Judgment. And the Prophet ﷺ said the mu'adhin, the mu'adhins will have the longest necks on the Day of Judgment. And there is uh, another narration from Ibn Umar ta'ala anhu, Abdullah ibn Umar, May Allah be pleased with him and his father who said, Abshir ya Bilal, glad tidings of Bilal. And he said, for what ya Aba Abdullah? He said, I heard the Messenger of Allah say that Bilal will come on the day of judgment holding a raya, holding a standard, and all of the mu'adhins will follow Bilal until they enter Jannah. That's a narration that Suyuti considers authentic. Finally, one more narration, which shows you the place of Bilal in the hearts of the Sahaba. Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma, whose father, taught him that Bilal is our master who was freed by our master. Abdullah ibn Umar named his son Bilal after the Bilal. And of course, Bilal is frequently named in our ummah. And uh, as a poet was praising Bilal ibn Abdullah ibn Umar, and he said that the Bilal of Abdullah is the best of Bilal's, Umar, uh, Abdullah ibn Umar interjected. And he said, Kadabt, he said, you have lied. He said, the Bilal of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam is the best of all Bilals. The Bilal of Rasulullah sallallahu is the best of all Bilals. And subhanAllah, we have his name, we have his legacy, we have his memory. I could go on and on about him. And the only reason we don't have more ahadith from him is because of the age at which he died, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and the distance that he kept away from the, uh, from, from the city of Medina uh, after the death of the Prophet sallallahu May Allah Azza wa allow us to hear his voice and his footsteps on the day of judgment and to follow him into the presence of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the one he loved so much and the one we love so much. May Allah grant us the companionship of the beloved Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. May Allah grant us the, the, the yaqeen, the certainty of Bilal radiallahu anhu when we say those words that he said. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us for our shortcomings. Allahumma ameen. Jazakumullahu khayran. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This podcast was brought to you by Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research. Dismantling doubts and nurturing conviction. One truth at a time. Tune in every week for the next episode. And don't forget to subscribe to this channel and share with friends. Until next time, this has been The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam.